Good afternoon. Welcome to your afternoon. It's Rob Porter on 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM. Until how are we doing today? Pretty good. It's nice and white outside now. I feel, I finally feel like it's about Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't like Christmas to be, I, I hate I, I know that, Christmas. I, I, I know that by the end of it, uh, we're going to get to, we're going to get tired of wintertime and that's going to happen sometime in January, but for now, everybody wants a white Christmas, right? I guess unless you're living in Miami, in which case you've made a lifestyle choice. And, you know, which is fine. I'm not judging. I just, I like the seasons. Sounds I like, like you're the judging. I'm judging a little bit. I, I can't, <laughs> st- I, I don't understand the heat. I, I can't, I couldn't live like that. And maybe, maybe it's because I, I, I'm an Alaskan. And when I was, when we moved to North Dakota, this is a funny story. When we moved to North Dakota, um, my mom's family is, is from this area. Her family homesteaded in North Dakota. Uh, my dad's family is, is from Minnesota originally, but my grandpa had moved to Alaska. So anyway, I was born in Alaska. My family lived in Alaska. But when my father retired from the Alaska State Troopers, he agreed to move down here where my mom's family is. So while we were moving, I thought we were moving to the south. Like I thought, I mean, you got to think for, for me, North Dakota is a couple of thousand miles south from where I <laughs> lived i thought people here were going to have southern accents i'm not kidding you i thought people in north dakota are going to be saying like y'all and that's what i thought i thought i was moving to the south and then i got down here and it's yeah sure you betcha you know like it was a it was a little bit of a culture shock but this is about as far south i think as i'm ever living when i'm retired i'm going to do the opposite of everybody else i'm going north all right <laughs> you go for it that's a long ways off though Okay, uh, we're going to talk more about tax reform. A big deal. It was a big deal that this passed yesterday. Um, and now I, I, we're at the dawn. It's it's going to probably be the issue of the 2018 election cycle, at least at the national level. And I, I think there's a lot of baloney out there that's that's flying around that we need to talk about. Uh, here to talk about, you know, obviously the impact on one of North Dakota's most important industries, agriculture. Daryl Lees from the North Dakota Farm Bureau, he's going to be on. And then a little bit later in the program, we're going to be talking with uh, Julie Fedorchek. We're going to take a break from the tax reform po- uh, talk. Uh, that we, We've had the CEO of Meridian Energy on this program before. They're the ones building the Davis Refinery. You've probably heard of it. It's, it's been a little bit controversial uh, due to its proximity to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Public Service Commissioner Julie Fedorchek thinks that Meridian Energy should voluntarily undergo uh, an additional round of, of state regulation, essentially. Uh, now, the company is declining to do that. The Public Service, Commissioner is igno- uh, Public Service Commission is acknowledging that the refinery doesn't, you know, is under no legal obligation to do so. But I, I thought it was interesting. You don't often hear regulators asking private companies to undergo additional regulation voluntarily so we'll, we'll have juliana talk all about that plus your phone call 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com now i i want to talk about something there, there's been an interesting talking point that was deployed uh before and after the tax bill passed and and the democratic rhetoric on this i, I think is going to come back to bite them because it has been so egregiously over the top Nancy Pelosi said that this was Armageddon. Armageddon. The literal meaning of Armageddon is the end of the world. 
Now, I, I, I get that some people don't like the tax reform bill. I get that some people think it's bad public policy for one reason or another, and that's all fine. We can have that debate. But to say that it's the literal end of the world, come on. I think they're going to have an additional problem. And and this this um, talking point is just flat-out insulting. And frankly, I think red state, you know, quote-unquote moderates like Senator Heidi Heitkamp should be asked whether or not they believe with this, if they agree with this Democratic talking point. Here's a tweet from Senator Elizabeth Warren, for instance. Uh, She wrote, uh, let's see, earlier this week on December 19th, she wrote on Twitter, uh, the bill that Republicans jammed through the Senate tonight isn't tax reform, it's a heist. Let's call this what it is, government for sale. Now, uh, Senator Jeff Merkley said, unbelievable, GOP just pulled off the biggest bank heist in U.S. history, and they're delivering the loot. One trillion dollars of our national treasury to the wealthiest Americans and big corporations. We must fight back harder than ever before. Are we the people vision of democracy? Uh, Brian Schatz, who is a United States senator from Hawaii, uh, he wrote, this is a heist. Representative Mark Takano representing California's 41st district. He wrote on Twitter, this is not a middle-class tax cut. The majority of the benefits will go to the one top 1%. This is not a job bills. Corporations will use tax cuts to reward shareholders and invest in automation. This is a historic heist. We will regret for years to come. Senator Bernie Sanders said, what we are seeing today in an unprecedented way is the looting of the federal treasury. Now, the, the common theme in all of these talking points is theft. The idea that this, this tax bill passed by Republicans takes is, is, is thievery, is a heist. And the fundamental problem with that is it's not the government's money. All this does is it changes the tax code, changes the mechanism by which the government takes some of your money. That is not theft. Essentially what they're doing is they're changing the mechanism towards the goal of people keeping more of their own money. That's what it is. Calling that theft, calling that a heist, is insulting. And I'd like to know, I'd like to know if North Dakota's Democrats agree with that. I mean, I mean, I'd like Senator Heidi Heitkamp to say whether or not she agrees with Senator Jeff Merkley. If she agrees with Senator Bernie Sanders, if she agrees with Senator Elizabeth Warren or Senator Brian Schatz and all these other Democrats. I want to know if she agrees that allowing you to keep more of your own money is theft. Is it? I I think it's a fair question to ask. Is allowing you to keep more of your own money theft? And by the way, most Americans next year will be allowed to keep more of their own money. According to a source... The Washington Post reported, right, that right-wing rag, the Washington Post, the Washington Democracy Dies in Darkness Post, says 8 in 10 Americans will receive, will, will have a smaller federal tax liability next year. 8 in 10 Americans. Pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. It's, and it's hard to say, you know, from that we can extrapolate and say, oh, well, well, most of the benefit goes to the rich. Yeah, well, they pay the most taxes. I, 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 you know, big shocker that if you do across-the-board tax relief, 
the people who pay less taxes benefit less than the people who pay more taxes. If we're just going to measure by dollar amounts, yeah, somebody whose tax liability is a million bucks a year, yeah, they're going to see more dollars out of their tax bill than you are. Because your tax bill liability is, what, I don't know, four or $5,000 a year, whatever it is. That's just the way the world works, right? I mean, we, we've promoted the idea of a progressive tax code. As such, any sort of tax relief, even if it's across the board in that tax code, is in and of itself going to be progressive. And that the people who pay the most are going to get the most relief. You know, that, that's not ideology or anything else. That's just mathematics. So anyway, I what do you think? Is 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 the tax are this this is the democratic talking point. The tax bill is theft. The tax bill is a heist. By the way, I always I always laugh when politicians, they're all coming out on Twitter, they're all on cable news, they're all on talk radio, and they're all using like the same phrase or the phrase same term. Right? You you think that's by accident? They all just woke up one day and decided to call the tax bill a heist? Of course it's not. Somebody in the Democratic Communications Department got together and decided branding this thing a heist was the right thing to do. And that's what they've done. And I want to know, do you agree? And the thing is, whether you agree with the overall policy or not, whether you think cutting taxes right now is a good idea or not, whether you think cutting taxes in the manner that this bill cuts them is a good idea or not, is allowing you to keep more of your own money theft. Because if it's not, then, boy, that's a big, big blow to the credibility of Democrats. And I think they're going to have a lot of problems with their credibility on some of the claims they've made about this tax reform. But we'll talk more about that in the next segment. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. All right, so so here's the thing. I I, I think Democrats are, are hoping that the tax reform bill becomes Obamacare for Republicans, which is to say a political albatross around their necks. Obamacare was devastating for Democrats. I mean, look at here in North Dakota, Acosta O'Pomeroy re-election to the United States Congress. I think it's a big reason why Kent Conrad and Byron Dorgan didn't run for re-election. I honestly, I, I think, I think Obamacare, um, hurt the Democratic brand overall to the point where, again, here in North Dakota, you look at, at the shellacking Democrats got, you look at really the shellacking Democrats got across the country. Under President Obama, they lost ground in the governorships, they lost ground in the state legislatures, they, they lost ground in statewide elected offices, they lost ground in the United States House and the United States Senate. That all happened under Obama, and Obamacare was a big was a big part of that. Now, will tax reform be the same thing? It's a bill that passed ex, uh, you know exclusively on partisan lines, and Democrats are working their, their best to, to make it toxic. I think the problem Democrats are going to have is a lot of the claims that they have about this bill are going to turn out not to be true. 
Republicans said a lot of things about Obamacare that, you know, it was going to make your health care more complicated. It was going to make it more expensive. And a lot of those things came true for a lot of people. The problem is, is a lot of the things Democrats are saying about tax reform, that it's only going to be for the wealthy, that middle class Americans are going to have a tax hike, that they're not actually going to see any any uh, any tax relief. A lot of these things uh, I, I think are, are going to turn out to just be positively untrue. And I, I think it's going to end up hurting Democrats a lot more than it hurts Republicans. What do you think? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's get to some calls. Uh, first up, Ken, what's going on? Hey, if I, if I walk into a store and I've got a 20% off coupon and I think I got a pretty good deal, but as they're bagging me, I see the guy at the next register and he's got a 30% off coupon. Am I supposed to not like him? Are you supposed to pit me against him because he he got I got a pretty good deal but he got a little bit better no. deal? Well, well, of of course not Ken, but but here's the thing. Your 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 metaphor is, is not accurate because you know, essentially we're talking about lowering rates for all people. Now the guy in the next aisle maybe gets a bigger dollar amount discount because he's buying more stuff, right? So it's like you both have a 20% off coupon, but because he's buying more stuff, he saves more money. That's, I, I think that, that is a more I mean, again, yeah. I got a pretty good deal here, but yet I'm supposed to be pitted against somebody because they got something different because yeah. they're in a different circumstance. I mean, I'm supposed to not like them. Yeah, I, I guess. You know, I, I mean, the thing is, 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 yeah, that people, people at the top of the income brackets are going to see more relief from this because they pay more in taxes. You know, that's that's okay. We have a progressive tax code. If that's the standard then we're never really going to be able to implement tax relief because we're never going to be able to do it in a way where the people who pay a lot less taxes get more relief as a dollar figure than the people uh, at the top. That, that just makes no more sense. If anything, what that's going to do is that's going to continue to uh, strat, you know, push and um, make our tax code lopsided where the people at the top are paying so much more than everybody else. I don't think that's a good thing either. I, I think, if anything, our tax code needs to be flatter because, you know what, the government belongs to all of us. And we should all uh, we should all pay at least a little bit to to pay for the government. I, we should all have some skin in the game. So and I'm okay with the progressive a tax code. standpoint, I mean, there used to be something called the blue dog Democrats. I mean, there, there used to be people who yeah. you know, and Heidi would probably fall into this. Hey, I'm from a I'm from a, a red state. I, I you know I can see the handwriting on the wall. She gets released to at least vote for it. Maybe not. It's not in her heart, but she understands elections coming up. Yeah, that doesn't and, happen and, anymore. And, and that's not happening anymore. I mean, you know, the, yeah. the, the Colin Peters. Well, where's Colin Peters? It didn't, when it when it, it it didn't happen on Obamacare, right? Earl Pomeroy didn't get released to vote against Obamacare, right? Uh, Byron Dorgan and Kent Conrad didn't get released to vote against it, and none of them won another well, election needed, in North Dakota they after Obamacare. They needed every vote, if I remember right. They right, needed they just did. about every right. vote to pass Obamacare. Right. They didn't get released, and none of them won an election in North Dakota again. Is the same going to happen to Heidi Heitkamp? Uh, I don't know. Ken, thanks for the call. Got to keep moving. Caller, Sharon. You're up. Yeah, I just want to say how my Social Security went up $4, but now I'm going to pay $60 more for my insurance. So where is it fair there? I, I guess I'm not I'm not understanding. My Social Security, I get $4 more a month, the, the raise that we got from Social Security. But okay. my insurance is going to cost me $60 more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I, I think. Uh, well, I, I think that's tough for a lot of people, whether they're on Social Security or not. 
We haven't seen a lot of economic growth in this country, at least not very strong economic growth. And that has turned into wage stagnation, revenue, uh, income stagnation. But meanwhile, the cost of, of living keeps going up. So it's a, it's a tough place to be. Thanks for the call, Sharon. Appreciate it. Want to keep moving. Caller, Jack, you're up. Yeah, Rob, you know, just to make it even that the lower class or middle class keeps complaining they don't have a tax cut, then let's make it all even. Use the top number for everybody and then see while they squawk. Yeah. I I would agree with a I would agree with a uh, I I would like that a flat tax I, I'm not so sure that that wouldn't be a bad idea just pick a percentage apply I don't know that it should be the top rate but pick a percentage apply it across the board and have very few credits or exemptions or anything like that I am a firm believer in everybody needing to have some skin in the game when it comes to paying for government thanks for the call Jack appreciate it uh, more to come. Straight ahead, uh, Daryl Lees from the North Dakota Farm Bureau is going to be on about, now, now that the tax bill is final, how is it going to impact North Dakota farmers and ranchers? We'll talk with him about that. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Talking about the tax reform. Obviously, its impact on one of North Dakota's most important industries, agriculture, is... Well, it's something we in this part of the country care about a lot. Here to talk with me about it is Daryl Lees from the North Dakota Farm Bureau. Daryl, how's it going? Uh, It's going great, Rob. It's a sunny, beautiful day in North Dakota. Are you, uh, it's a very cold day in North Dakota as well, but hey, it's December and that's to be expected. We, I, I don't, it's funny how North Dakotans complain about it gets cold in the winter. Well, <laughs> happens every year. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it, it seems to happen about the same time every year, give or take yeah, a weird. couple weeks, but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's part of why I love living in the North. I, you know, I, I like to be able to have the different seasons and, and I kind of enjoy a little bit of cold weather now. I don't necessarily need 60 to 80 or even 100 inches of snow with the cold weather all the time. Yeah. So this is nice. A few inches of snow, white Christmas, things are good. Unexpectedly, it's cold in North Dakota in December. Uh, anyway, Daryl, let me ask you, is this tax bill, is it good for farming? Is it good for agriculture? I think I think this tax bill is going to be good for everyone, Rob, uh, including agriculture. I, I truly believe that uh, anytime you can – allow folks to keep a little bit more of their money or put a little more of their hard-earned money back in their pockets, and they spend it uh, on the goods and services that they see fit rather than the government uh, taking it from you and telling you where they think it's best. I think that's always good. And and as far as agriculture is concerned, uh, you know, there's a lot of good things in this tax bill. Uh, the 179 deductions or expensing uh, is up to a million dollars now, up from uh, 500000 And actually for the first five years here now, it's uh, it, it's full. It, it, you're gonna we're gonna be able to expense everything there, and that's not just agriculture. That's all small businesses are gonna be able to take advantage of that uh, opportunity. So you know, there's there's things in it like that that are good. The standard deductions, you know, I mean, we've we've heard the statistics. Four out of five North Dakotans use the standard deductions. Uh, the standard deduction has doubled. That's good for for uh, you know beginning families and that that are that are starting out. That's you know that lower lower to middle class is going to get 
some good uh, response out of that. The child tax credit has doubled. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of positive things out there in this tax bill, um, and, and it's you know it's doing the right thing. Uh, the, the government taking less of people's money, and people deciding how they spend it. Do you feel if you so you're telling me as the leader of one of North Dakota's most important agriculture advocacy groups that this bill is good for your industry? Why am I hearing from the North Dakota Farmers Union that it's not? I mean, why are groups like that out saying, "Oh no, this this isn't good for us"? Well, you know, I I don't want to put words in their mouth for what they might be thinking, but. You know, they're they're using mostly what I'm hearing. They're trying to build the case around and paint the picture that this thing's bad because, well, it's got a static score of a, of roughly a one and a half trillion additional dollars to the debt, which no one's happy about adding to the debt. But that's a static score. There's no di- no dynamics built into that. There's no, you know, no consideration for economic growth, for the GDP growing, for job growth, for the repatriation of money that's going to happen. Uh, there's none of that is was able to be figured into that. So, you know, I, I think a lot of that's going to be offset. And then so what they're saying is because that debt's going to grow, we're going to lose crop insurance, we're going to lose farm programs, and we're going to – well, Rob, I've, I've said this before, I, and I've said it on your program. To me, that's complete baloney because we grew in the last eight to nine years the national debt – And we enhanced crop insurance. We enhanced crop insurance when the debt was growing a trillion dollars plus a year. So I, I don't buy that argument. Daryl, I, I think I think we keep losing Daryl. But I, the point he's okay. trying to make, we keep. I think we keep you keep blanking out on us, Daryl. But I think the point you're trying to make is, you know, essentially under the Obama administration and and Democratic control of Congress for a lot of those years, we essentially doubled the national debt. We came into the Obama era with about $10 trillion in national debt. We exited it with $20 trillion. And what you're saying is during that time, we still expanded farm programs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we made changes and we made uh, better security and, and a ro- more robust uh, insurance uh, program that, that the farmers and ranchers utilize out there. And and so I don't I don't buy that argument. And And my response to that is, where were they about complaining the gro- about the growth of the national debt during that time frame when it when it wasn't a result of quote unquote because we let people keep their own money it was because we were spending wildly and and it, some of that goes back on bush i mean you know there is some some things that i'm not too happy uh being from that side of the aisle that that president bush did so right. i mean we we we're all of a sudden worried about because we're allowing Americans to keep their money that this is going to be a bad deal. I don't see it. Do you? As, as the the bill has been last time we had you on to talk about this, you know, the bill was still very much in the works. There was still a lot of negotiation going on. It was a fluid situation. The bill has been completed and now sits upon President Donald Trump's desk, ready for signature. Anything you see in the bill that you don't like? In terms of agriculture, what if if you had to make a criticism a criticism of the bill, what would it be? Well, the, there's still a little bit of question on how the the whole 199 uh, deduction thing is gonna gonna wash out. There's there were some fixes done, uh, which Senator Hoven you know led the way, and we appreciate that. Uh, but 
even on that issue, that's 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 a pass through deal. Um, you know, the cooperative system is the one that's probably the most painstaking. That the farmers that are in a cooperative system, like sugar beet growers, potato growers, are in some. Some of the you know edible bean uh, folks are in some of those that we were hearing from. But uh, an important thing, and, and so Farmers Union might be making reference to some of that too, because they're you know they're a cooperative structure and they push the cooperative structure. However, the National Council of Farmers Cooperatives president, I believe his name is Chuck Connor, came out and they were in full support of the final bill when Senator Hoven was able to get the provisions put in to offset that 199 deduction. So we have the, we have the National Council of Cooperatives telling us they were in full support of this bill. So I'm thinking, you know, they were the ones that were studying that directly, that this is a good deal for them. Then, then we're happy and we're satisfied, too. Now, there's going to be some things to watch there to see how it really does come out. But, you know, that would probably be the one area that some of our producers had the most concern about. 701-293-9000 if you want to join in. Any comments or questions, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY. Dot com. So, so what's what's the on the ground? You know, we're we're talking a lot, and, and certainly immediately after the bill passed, you know, yesterday it was it was sort of an exciting atmosphere, and we got a lot of news from big companies nationally uh, that they're going to be making more investments in the U.S. They're going to give their employees bonuses, a lot of news like that. Now, I obviously I don't expect I I don't know that there's anything specific we could point to here in North Dakota, but what's your prognostication? I mean, what's what's the real world impact of this bill? on agriculture in North Dakota that North Dakota citizens might be able to, to, to see? You know, I, I don't know what the, the first immediate thing is going to be, other than we're going to have some some families that are maybe just working into the farm um, that that are going to benefit from, you know, that, that doubling of the standard deduction plus the child uh, tax credit. Some of those things are going to probably result in some immediate things. Um, you know, em- employers uh, or employees of farms are going to see some benefits uh, because they should see some change in what's being withheld out of their check, um, you know, going forward as this gets implemented. I don't know how long that's going to take for the, you know, the IRS to make some of those changes, but some of those things are going to, you know, we're going to, so we're going to see our farm laborers uh, maybe see some, some of the most immediate things out of it. And, and so I think, you know, it, it's going to be a, you know, this isn't going to be an overnight deal, um, obviously, but it's going to be what I'm going to consider a pretty rapid thing. You know, over the next year here, we're going to start seeing those things that are more positive. Uh, you know, like I said, the 179 expensing, you know, it was a half a million dollars, which may seem like a lot, but you can't even buy a new combine for a half a million dollars anymore. And so having that $1 million dollars, capability in the first five years having full expensing that's where we're going to see some big things in in benefits to farmers and ranchers immediately what 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 about the estate tax or or the quote-unquote death tax you know that that's always a controversial thing um that was all that was obviously impacted by this bill you know a lot of people saying that's not a big deal that that the case for that in agriculture is is exaggerated um is is that change going to matter that change will matter a lot, Rob. Uh, so it, we went to roughly a million or eleven million dollars um, exemption now instead of the five to five and a half million, wherever it was in their exact number, and and that's that's big because let's just let's just look at the amount of property you have to own 
stay at that previous number of $5 million. You got farmland in the Red River Valley anywhere from six to $10,000 an acre. It doesn't take too many acres to add up to $5 million estate. And, and so, and, and, and it's, it's a very important piece of it. And, and let's just talk about this in a, in a matter of, you know, is death really an event that should be taxed? Is that the proper thing to do, especially after those families, whether it's in farming and ranching or other small businesses, have spent their life contributing to society, paying their taxes, paying income tax, paying sales tax, paying property tax, paying whatever kind of tax came along, and now we're going to tax them because they died. That, to me, is just a moral problem with that, much less the financial problems that it causes for families that run up against those numbers. Well, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's going to be a good thing overall. Daryl, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Rob. You have a great week. It's Daryl Lees from the North Dakota Farm Bureau. I'm Rob Port here on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Comments, questions, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. I'm going to get to some of the emails that have come in. Next segment, don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Last segment, few minutes left. Want to get to some of these emails. If you want to email in, talk at WDY.com, 701-293-9000, uh, Let's see, Neil emails, uh, Heitkamp was on. Oh, I was talking about the uh, tax bill, and I was asking, you know, whether or not Senator Heitkamp agrees with these Democratic talking points that the tax bill is a, quote-unquote, theft or a heist is what they're saying. I don't think that allowing people to keep more of their own money Setting aside whether or not you think that's a good, you know, you agree with the efficacy of that policy, calling it theft is is wrong. Neil says, Heitkamp was on with, uh, he puts quotes around Joel McFeely. I don't think McFeely's going to like that comparison very much, given what I know. Anyway, uh, was on with Joel McFeely today. Uh, she believes the Democratic's rhetoric and delivered it verbatim. Yeah, I guess I don't know if she did or not. Uh, Senator Heitkamp doesn't like to go on with people who disagree with her. I have no problem, obviously, with her going on with Mike McFeely. I think that's great. I think she should do that. I think it would be great if she maybe expanded her retinue of venues that she appears in to people who might ask her, you know, some questions from a conservative point of view. Um, you know, I, I don't I feel like that would be OK. Sometimes the politicians expose themselves to people they disagree with. I, I don't know. But if she if she is. Repeating that, if she's out there saying that the tax cut, reducing your tax burden is theft, boy, <laughs> I like I like to see your campaign on that. As as Americans, as as most workers' paychecks get a little bit larger, and they're allowed to keep a little bit more of that money that they earn from their employers, boy, I'd, I'd like I'd like to I'd like to hear her explain to them how that's that's theft. Again. I, it's fine to think that that's a bad policy idea, but calling it theft, wow. Uh, let's see, Brad emails, if you strive for socialism, of course tax cuts would be considered theft. They believe your stuff belongs to the government, right? I, I mean, like words like socialist and communist get thrown around in politics a lot. Same with like fascist and Nazi. I mean, people, they're hyperbolic terms at times. 
But there is something pretty fundamentally socialist. I, I kind of feel like that applies. If you're calling tax deductions theft, then the idea is the money belongs to the government and it's not really your money, in which case that is sort of socialism, which is the belief that the government should just own everything. Right? I mean, that is a little bit socialist if you think that uh, you keeping more of your own money is is theft. Because it's not theft. It's, it's not. The income tax, at its most basic, is a series of rates at which the government keeps some of your money from, you know, when, it, when you get paid, when it, when, when it flows to you, instead of flowing to you, some of it, some percentage of it gets diverted to the government. That's what the income tax code is. And we've complicated it by doing all sorts of things that modify what that percentage is for each person. But that's essentially what the income tax code A percentage of your money that the government keeps. Adjusting that percentage down so that you keep more of your own money is not theft. Because it's your money. You earned it. Can't make this stuff up. Public Service Commissioner Julie Fedorchek, why does she want a refinery to undergo voluntarily more regulatory scrutiny? We'll talk with her about that. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. I just looked under my keyboard on my desk. Ugh. <laughs> I, I bet it was full of oh, dust and disgusting. Yeah. Pizza crumbs. That is not a good look. All right. It's worse when you take the keys off your keyboard. I just wiped I just wiped it all on the floor. <laughs> well, we got, well, you've got a robotic vacuum. He'll come take That's care right. of it. He'll start it up. and can take care of it later. I was just reading on Twitter. Ryan Johnson, our colleague over at uh, uh, Columnist for Fargo Forum, uh, he, he wrote, uh, they're making a Mamma Mia 2. That, that musical with all the ABBA music? Huh. Here's his snarky thing. He goes, how many notable ABBA songs could there possibly be left that weren't already butchered in the first movie? Oh, ouch. Oh, meow, Ryan. I Listen, Pierce Brosnan has a delightful singing voice, and I'll fight any man who says otherwise. All right? <laughs> you don't get down on James Bond. And that's a promo? <sighs> I don't know. He's got a point. I don't know how many ABBA songs are left. Anyway, my guest now, Public Service Commissioner Julie Fedorchek. Julie, did you enjoy Mamma Mia, the first one? I did. I yeah, love I did, Abba, too. Though. I did, too, and I get a lot of flack for that because apparently this is not something that men are supposed to like. I enjoyed it. I well, thought it was delightful. Got to be your own self. Right All right. Pierce, Pierce Brosnan, though, was he good in that movie? Was his thing? What did you think? Uh not my favorite but he was fine quit grilling the public service commissioner that's that that's that's a very diplomatic julie you're a very skilled politician that was a very diplomatic answer (laughs) uh and she's sitting here wondering i came on to talk about regulating an oil refinery and now we're talking about now we're talking movies all right my husband would tell you is not my strength i'm not not, your strength short in pop culture uh (sighs) trivia well, okay, we'll get out of, you know, the, the nitty-gritty of regulation and try to enjoy yourself a little bit, Julie. Life's, <laughs> well, life's only I so know, long. I, just, I don't. I can't remember those things. I don't remember names and actresses and actors, and I'm just bad at that. I really am. All right. 
Okay. Well, we'll we'll stop. <laughs> I can tell you're very uncomfortable with this. So let's get into something you're a little bit more comfortable with, which is regulation. Now, Meridian <laughs> is a company. cases. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, Meridian is a company, and and I'm I'm sure everybody's heard about this, but it's it's over in Western North Dakota. Uh, it's a refinery project that is to be built uh, in, in somewhat close proximity to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, which needs no introduction. It's an absolute jewel uh, that 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 we are lucky enough to have here in our state. It's a beautiful place. It is incumbent on all of us to do our best to protect it. Meridian wants to build a refinery near it. I support the refinery overall. I think it's a good idea. Um, but recently, they appeared before your commission, um, and, and they're, they're, I, I think I believe the state health department issued a draft air quality permit uh, when I had the, the Meridian CEO, Bill Prentice, on this program. I believe he said that was the last permit they needed. Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Julie, but, but you also said that you felt that they should undergo some additional regulation, state regulation, or, or undergo an additional process Essentially, voluntarily. Am I understanding the situation correctly? What's going on? Well, here's a deal that's been confusing. Their plans have been sort of all over the board since they first talked about this. They talk about building this at 27,500 um, barrels per day capacity. So that's well below the standard and the trigger point for needing a permit from the PSC for construction. Ours, ours is 50,000. Um, so well below that, but in all, in all the information and communication to their investors on their website, even in their initial communications to the public in North Dakota, they cited regularly over and over 55,000 as being their um, the size of the plant. So we've been in conversations since we first saw that thing that puts you in with, with our, our, within our jurisdiction. So we're hoping that you're planning to, you know, go through the siting process and let us know, you know, if you, if you need any materials or whatever. Uh, and they kind of went back and forth with us for two years saying, well, we, we do eventually plan to get to that size, but we're not going to start there. We're going to start lower. And so we're not going to be siting. Well, <clears throat> they, um, because of that and because of the timing of when they're going to do that, it's been a confusion. It's been confusing for us and for the public and for those who are in particularly concerned about this particular location. And so in, in uh, our conversation with them, we just finally had them in this week saying, okay, we've been exchanging letters. Let's just talk face to face. And they said, um, they said, you know, that we're stick, sticking with the 27.5. We're not planning to go through siting. And I said, I encourage them strongly that if your plans are to be at that level, then you should go through the siting on the front end. It's just the right thing to do. Other companies, it's not unprecedented. Other companies do that. Basin Electric has done that on some of their generation facilities, and they knew that they were going to expand. They just cited at the beginning. Furthermore, during our conversation with them, I asked Bill Prentiss, so, or maybe it was Randy asked Bill Prentice, so what do you know about the exclusion areas and the avoidance areas on the site you're building on? Because when you come to us, we'll need to know about that, you know, even after the fact. And he said, well, we haven't looked into that. Well, if you're eventually planning to go through the siting, they ought to be looking at that now. That's the whole point of siting is to avoid and take into consideration those standards that were set up by the legislature and through the rules process for um, being met in order to get the permit to construct this type of a facility. 
So, you know, they, I, I think it would save them a lot of trouble. I don't think our citing process is onerous. It is thorough. It is definitely thorough, but it's a good process. I would emphasize, and we get this thrown in our face many times, we've never declined a permit. Since I've been on the commission, I don't know right. how long it's been since the commission has. We work with the companies till they get to the point that they meet the standards and they get the permit. And so our goal is not to deny permits. Our goal is to bring people into compliance and to, you know, help, right. help companies understand what they need to do to construct. And I, I think that's a good approach that North Dakota takes to regulation is our preference is to do stuff. We put in place rules. We put in place regulations. We go through a process to make sure that those rules and regulations are adhered to. But then beyond that, we're pretty much on the side of doing stuff. Right. We want to be able to do stuff. We want to be able to allow industry and business to happen here uh, it, as long as it's in accordance with our rules. And, that, and that's basically it. I, I think I think other places, I think nationally, I think other states even take an adversarial point of view where it's like the regulations almost become an excuse to try to inhibit certain types of industry or certain types of business. So I, I think that's a good approach. I, I think what, what raised a lot of eyebrows, at least in the way this was presented in the media, is, is people were wondering why in the world. Would somebody trying to be build an oil refinery voluntarily undergo additional regulatory scrutiny? Because this is not an easy process to begin with. And especially now, this these are very charged political times. You know, we look at, at for instance, the, the pipeline developers and how much trouble they have with all the protests and everything that happened there. Why would anybody voluntarily subject themselves to additional scrutiny that they're not legally obliged to do? What's your, what's your answer to that? Well, because they plan to, they've been very vocal about their plans to exceed the limit that they're setting right now and become okay. within our jurisdiction. And also, this company and this project, they have gone above and beyond on so many things. I mean, just they're, um, by virtue of being that close to the park, three miles, their, their um, air quality standards are up to 10 times higher than they would be if they built by Dickinson, Bismarck, further west, away from the park. They're going 4,000 feet below um, the earth to get their water. It's very briny water. They have to treat it. That's a super costly uh, process, too. So, I mean, they went through, uh, you know, in their presentation to us, all these very uh, complicated steps that they're pursuing in order to build a pipe uh, a refinery in this location which i applaud them and i think it's great that they're raising the bar for this industry but you're going through all of that and yet you're you're kind of the cut in the corner on this one thing that i think will save them a lot of trouble in the end because are, it's are they gonna very to... likely that they're going to get sued Okay, so well, I don't understand. So essentially, we not have a, us, we have a by a third by, by another party, right. you know, for for pursuing this. The, the groups opposed to this are going to look for every possible angle. Of course, they are. Uh, why 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 give them ammunition? I think is your argument. Um, and they have why? Because I mean, lots of articles, Rob. There's sure. so much information I've been sent quoting that fifty five um, right. that fifty five thousand. But the the, the uh, threshold is. The threshold is what fifty thousand, fifty, mm-hmm. and they're coming in, and they're they're now saying they're going to come in just under that. What happens if they exceed that in the future? Like, what happens if they say, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna be under that, and they go through, they complete their project, now they're processing, and they, they and then they then go above it. Do they before they go above it? Do they have to go through the process, or how does that? I, I don't. I'm not yeah. understanding how that works. 
you cannot operate a facility. You cannot construct. You can't even start constructing a facility at 50000 or higher without a permit. So they can operate up to 49999 And the minute they want to be at fifty or higher, they, they need have a to come, permit from us. You have to come to you and get a construct. permit. Okay. So, so inevitably, because they're talking everywhere that they're going to be at 55000 inevitably they're going to have to get that permit. Their argument is they just don't want to do that now? That's what they're saying. Correct. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting. I, it, it seems a funny way of going about doing it. And you're right. As for a company that I think really has got above and beyond anywhere else, it's a good project. I, I, I think it's this a, is a good yeah, company. Yeah, very exciting, the technology right. they're looking oh, to yeah. employ. It really is. And it's a lot and, of and, jobs. And, and what it adds to, to, to our, our energy infrastructure here in the state, our ability to use all this all this um, oil that we're bringing up out of the ground and, and process it right here. I mean, it, it really – it's a good addition to our overall thing. It's just a little curious – how this is playing out and I, honestly I, I don't I don't understand the reasoning behind it I, I really don't I was I was prepared to be critical of you when I first read the article and then I thought well deeper it's like why are they doing this this doesn't make any sense so anyway yeah, I I agree I think that they should just go to, to go through this step and I had a you know separately I talked to the, uh, the CEO after a meeting and said look I really urge you to do this I, I think it's going to save you trouble in the end and he said well it's not just up to me so I don't know well, who's all who's all calling the shots there, but he obviously has a board and, and other folks yeah. who who might not understand our, our process and the value of it. I mean, I think that he just has to, you know, he's not beholden to us. <laughs> so, well, Julie, no, I uh, think it would be I think it is an exciting project. And like I said, I know yeah. we got to go. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk for years, including proposals for a state run refinery. And, you know, we need more refining. Yeah. And it's true. Here's a refinery project. Yeah. They're going right at the doorstep of one of our most precious locations. Let's go through the siting process and do it right. Yeah. And let's and let's not open up the door to legal delays or lawsuits or anything like that if we can avoid it. I mean, it's seems like some of that stuff's just inevitable sometimes but why give them ammunition i think that's the point julie thanks for your time appreciate it thank you rob Have- that's julie julie for from north dakota's public service commission i'm rob port more to come straight ahead 970 wday am 93.1 fm don't go away I love the Ramones. Are you, uh, are you a Ramones fan, Natil? I mean, I like this song. I guess I haven't listened to a lot of their music that wasn't considered a major hit. They were a little before uh, my time. You wanna, uh, you're going to want to listen to the KKK Took My Baby Away. That's all, a very catchy right. tune. Uh, now I Want to Sniff Some Glue is also very good. These, sounds like, these sound like songs that maybe... I should listen to away from other human beings. No, it's a funny thing. Uh, Joey Ramone wrote the KK, the KKK took my baby away about Johnny Ramone basically stealing his girlfriend and, and, uh, and marrying her. Um, so I don't know. Johnny Ramone, also a very colorful character, a Republican, by the way, lifelong Republican in the, um, in the punk movement, right? I mean, he actually said at one point, 
punk rock is fundamentally conservative. Who knew? I, I feel like maybe somebody should tell the Sex Pistols that, but <laughs> who knows? All right, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, uh, speaking of which, I, I, now I'm just talking about random things that I'm running across here. I, I've been looking for uh, board games. And by the way, we're going to be talking about board games on tomorrow's show. There's the tie-in. This is how I'm tying it in now to the radio show, so I can talk about this on air. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have on uh, a guest to talk about board games, uh, the best board games for your Christmas, because I don't know how your Christmas works, but at my Christmas, we play board games, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, and, but today I'm looking forward to talking about it tomorrow. Today I was looking through and I found a battleship game, right? And it's, it's sort of the traditional battleship game that, that you're thinking of. Uh, but this one is, I, I guess changed, uh, for dazzle ships. Have you ever heard of dazzle ships? No, I have no idea. What is a dazzle ship? This is such a cool part of world war one history. And I think it's hard I think it's hard to appreciate because there aren't a lot, like a lot of the, the photography in that from that age was black and white. So, so you don't really appreciate what they were doing here. But they used the artistic, uh, like cubism, right? So, sort of those those shapes and colors and everything. During World War One, they started painting battleships that way. Like with these wild artistic designs. I, I'm sorry, Google it. It's the crazy, it's it's crazy, what you've seen. Anyway, it's a very cool thing. Uh, we just got done talking with Public Service Commissioner Julie Fedorchek about uh, regulation. I, I like North Dakota's approach to regulation. And over the years, particularly during the oil boom years, I think North Dakota regulators got a lot of flack from, well, I mean, I from people on the left. I, I think generally from people on the left saying that, you know, they're, they're too friendly to industry or what have you. And here's the thing, and, and I, I think that this attitude has its roots in North Dakota's agrarian past because what North Dakota is is a state made up of people who just want to work, right? Farmers are essentially small business owners. Farmers want to use the land, right? They have access to this land. Farming is basically industry. They want to be able to use the land and profit from it simultaneously they understand that they got to protect the lawn the, the land if they want to continue to do that on like a generational basis so we have this sort of very pragmatic approach to regulation wherein we want to protect the land but we also want to use the land i think that that has permeated itself into our political approach to these things where we do have rules in place and we do enforce those rules aimed at protecting the land but we don't do it in a way that's necessarily prohibitive to business or industry. And I think that's the rub, because I, I think what happens is, you know, particularly over the last 30, 40, 50 years of the environmental movement, where, you know, certain types of industry have, have been, you know, just sort of, they're evil, right? This, this type of industry is evil, therefore, we can't allow it at all, right? That's the whole keep it in the ground thing. That's the whole we can't build pipelines or refineries or anything thing. But we all use the oil and we all want the oil. And so we should build those things and we should do so in accordance with rules. So, I mean, I think that's North Dakota's approach and it's a good one. And you just heard an example of it from Julie Fedorchek. All right, rundown. Coming up next is the Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. 
The Rob Report. The Rob Report. On 970 WDAY. The Rundown. All right, Natil, what's in the headlines? Oh, we got plenty of stuff in the headlines today. Starting off with Walmart is planning a store without any cashiers. <gasps> I feel like Walmart's already got a lot of stores that don't have any cashiers working. I, I don't know. Oh, That's snap. my experience is I go in there sometimes and it's tough to get checked out. Like that's the hardest part of shopping at Walmart. Like you go in, you get your stuff, you feel like you're getting good deals, and then comes time to check out and then they they have 200 I, I don't know how many they actually have. It seems like they have 200 aisles. Like There's they have 200 lanes, like it's all across and they have one person working. Yeah, well, so, I hardly ever use the aisles that are manned by cashiers anyways. I'm, I use the self-checkouts almost everywhere I go now. If I can self-checkout, I, I am self-checking out. The only time I, yeah, I try to use the self-checkout. The only time I don't is when uh, I have a lot of stuff because it just, it gets unwieldy. Like, they, they're not giving you a lot of space there. Oh, you just, then you just pick the bags up and put them back in the cart. So I started doing this thing where, like, I, I do our grocery shopping on... Like every other Thursday, I buy groceries for two weeks and I kind of got this thing where I go to a movie on Thursday night and then after the movie, I go shopping late at the grocery store to avoid the crowd. Mm -hmm. Right. That's just kind of how it works out for me. So I go there and I I went I went I went to the grocery store the other night. I swear to God, like I I ended up being in the movie theater alone for one thing because I'm watching a a movie late Thursday night. Right. So then I go and it was eerie because I go to the grocery store and there's nobody like the grocery store is open. Nobody's there. Nobody's at the checkouts. Nobody's in any of the aisles. Like I'm on my own. I'm wandering around buying two weeks weeks worth of groceries and I get up and I expect there to be a cashier because I don't really want to check out two weeks worth of groceries at the self checkout because I'm sorry. They're not giving you a lot of room. Uh, there's not a lot you can do like because you got to keep it all on the little scale thing. If you yeah. take anything off, it gets mad at you and then they got to reset it. Yeah, so I had to check out two weeks worth of groceries at the self checkout. That wasn't fun. So See, I, don't I like guess that. I'm I'm so used to it now. So like I just it doesn't bother me. And the ones at like the WalMarts now don't necessarily get upset at you if you take things off. Like if you've let it, if you've let it know that you've had a thing on the scale, and then you take your yeah. bags off, and then give it a second before you scan a new thing, it's fine. But what's gonna freak you out about this this new Walmart thing is that they're not even just planning a store that has like self-checkouts or anything like that. Project Kepler is in part aimed at creating a store that would feature no checkout lines or cashiers, but use computer vision to detect what products customers are leaving the store with and then charging your account accordingly. See, that's interesting. A Walmart, or it's not Walmart, Amazon had a concept like that. Yep, where it yep. Basically, you, you went in and like you just grabbed what you wanted and walked out. And as you walked out, like they had tags or some sort of a scan as you walked out and then just bada bing, they recognize you as an Amazon customer, charge your account, you're, you're, you're free to go. Yeah, it, free, it freaks me out a little bit. I, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I trust a store to know all of the things that I'm leaving with. And, you know, I don't, because yeah. I, I guess I feel more badly for the store because what if I leave and they think that I have, you know, one bottle of Mountain Dew and I have four bottles of Mountain Dew. Well, that's and... on them. That's their I know problem. it's They're, on that's their them. idea. I would feel guilt. Like, it would feel weird, like, just walking out. I don't know that I could do it. Like, every I, time I, I, I would, would do it, I'd be like, I, I, I'm not stealing. I think I'd, ha- I'm not I'd have, stealing. like, my... <laughs> My cult, my cultural North Dakota would be coming out. I'd be standing there like, are, are, you, are you sure? Like, I, I could just go? 
This, this you, is okay. Do you want to? Do you want to like look at my bag? You know, like are you, you, you want to? Sure? You want to check my pockets or anything? Nah. <laughs> I don't like this. That would. That's going to be such a like. If that comes to me, that's going to be such a cultural shift. There's yeah, North Dakotans. The, the jam up's not going to be at the register anymore. It's going to be all the people at the doorway at the exit feeling guilty, standing around wanting to prove to somebody else that they're not. Like I'm not stealing here, you know. It's fine. I only got. Yeah, it's I'm fine, not stealing. It, it's fine. It's their idea, you guys. <laughs> I'm not. This isn't my idea to just walk out. I, I would like somebody to verify that I'm not stealing, please. All right. Yeah. Up next, HuffPost blogger Andy Ostroy calls Senator Tim Scott a black uh, prop during tax bill remarks. What an a-hole. I know, you know right? I, this is something yeah. that we just talked about yesterday. Because, because he's black, he has to be Democrat or whatever. This boxing right. of people in. So because he's black, he can't just be naturally Republican. He has to be some sort of Republican tool. Right. It's ridiculous. Um, and I understand. Like, I, I think that there are perceptions of both parties that make it difficult for people to want to. Like, like historically, Republicans, anti-gay marriage. I can understand why that would make gays not really want to be associated with the Republican Party. I get that. I understand it. I think the party's position is changing. You know, the party's position is changing. That perception is changing. I think it's a healthy thing for Republicans. Same goes for, uh, you know, Democrats. You know, they they have a, a perception of being, you know, mostly represented. And I think it's borne out probably by election results, but being representing mostly sort of, you know, an urban elite, which is why you see rural Americans, you know, vote against them a lot. You know, so those perceptions hurt. But when you when you zero down on an individual – and, you know, and tell Tim, you know, and, and this Senator Tim Scott was was the uh, the Republican who was identified that, that he's the only reason he's up there is because of his skin color. Tim Scott helped write the bill. He helped sell the bill. You know, he offered amendment like he was involved in the process from the get go. And now all of that gets ignored for his skin color so that some idiot can make, you know, a comment that he's only up there because he's a prop. That, that is so insulting and so dumb. And, you know. We need to get over this. Like, a person is an individual. They're not their sexual orientation or their gender or their skin color or their religion or anything else. They are an individual. And they don't have to fit in some box because they check off certain demographics on a, on a form. All right, what's next? All right, up next, leftists dox FCC's Ajit Pai on Facebook urge insane people to defecate on his lawn. What is this now? Okay, so for those of you who don't know what doxing is, doxing is what happens when someone online right. finds the information, the personal information, usually phone number, personal email, and home yeah, address I've, of I've someone. I've had people do it to me. Yep, of someone famous, and then they put that information out all over the place. It was a really big problem um, in like the gaming communities during a thing called Gamergate where famous feminists were being doxed. And people were harassing them, saying they were going to come and rape them and things like that. It's usually used for nefarious well, purposes. I, I could tell you in the blogging community, it's been that way. Where There was a spate of conservative bloggers. Not only were they being doxxed, but then people were calling in to, like, they would call 911 from Skype or something to wherever it is that blogger lived and, and say there's, like, an active shooting in progress or something. So now the cops show up ready to bear because they've got a report that somebody's sh murdering somebody else and they kick in the door to, to, to the blogger's house and, you know, a hugely dangerous situation. I mean, creating a very dangerous situation. So ugly. Now, now they're targeting 
FCC chairman Ajib, and I'm sure it's the net neutrality thing, but they're targeting him. Yes, specifically, um, they there have been posts. There was there was a Facebook uh, event essentially put up with his address for a New Year's rave, and people were then adding links to places where you can buy a piece of poop that gets mailed to a specific location, all sorts of other, and it it just it just gets worse from there. It's that's childish. And the thing about it is, like, I could understand a couple of idiots on the Internet saying, oh, this will be a real good idea. This doesn't help you. Like, this, if, if, you're, if you're against what, you know, Ajit Pai and, and the FCC did on net neutrality, There's this doesn't help your cause. There's better ways to handle it. This doesn't help your cause. You and I disagree on this, but I think we can agree that this doesn't help the cause. Like, no. this does nothing. And it, it shocks me, though, how many people join on to these sort of things. I mean, you could get a couple thousand people to show up to something like this. It's it's all about this stupid mob mentality thing. I mean, there there's a, a huge number of people out there that would agree with me when I say that Ajit Pai did something very, very awful in allowing net neutrality to right. be repealed. And there's plenty of people on your side of the equation, too. Who disagree. The, exactly. The problem is that while you and I can have a, a conversation about that and can disagree and can attempt to maybe find some middle ground, we're right. in the minority in that we are reasonable thinking adults who won't get caught up in something where it's like, yeah, let's go to Ajit Pai's house and poop on his lawn. Well, there's, I, I think some of it's social media, though. It I, is. I think social media lends itself to this sort of hive mind mentality where somebody identifies an unsympathetic target. And then people just, they, they just lose sense of the fact that this is a human being. At the end of the day, this is a human being. This is his private residence. This is where he family, his family lives. And doing this to him is terrible. Like, however much you disagree with his policies, he and his family don't deserve to be treated this way. It's wrong. Absolutely I, I remember. I remember a few years back, there was a Republican lawmaker in Bismarck who was targeted in this way, where they went, they went to her personal... Uh, and I'm trying to remember her name. It was it was over. It was she was a pro-life Republican and it was over some of the abortion legislation that was passed by the legislature. And they went to her personal residence and protested outside her personal residence. And I just think that's wrong. Like you don't. There, there's so many venues where you can go and have a public demonstration and get your point across. You don't go to their house. That's it's wrong. All right. We're going to wrap up with a wonderful conspiracy theory for you, Rob. All it's right. a wonderful life. Holiday classic, yes? Oh, yeah. I like it. The FBI thought it was communist propaganda. No, no. No, no. I'm a secret commie. <laughs> you are. You're a I secret... didn't even know I like that movie. You're a, you're a communist and you didn't even know it. I didn't realize I'd been propagandized to all this time. What? What? What during, aspects of the movie are communist? During the time it came out, apparently J. Edgar Hoover's communist hunting oh, agents thought, thought oh. that it was actually... A, a digital Trojan horse sneaking anti-American propaganda to the masses. Uh, they were talking about it being communist infiltration of the movie. Uh, the well, there was well. uh, the they they cast the Scrooge type so that he would be the most hated man in the picture, so that you know Potter was supposed to like it, the plot wouldn't work yeah, if mean, people yeah. were cheering for Potter to repossess the business. It, it's not a real it's it's not a real 
good commentary on the banking industry. Let's no, put it that and, way. and what, what these um, people were saying was I don't that, think that makes you a commie, though. <laughs> well, it, it goes a little bit further. They, they said that the movie could have portrayed Mr. Potter as following the rules as laid down by the state bank examiners in connection with making loans, but instead they made Mr. Potter a very personal villain, which was deliberately maligning the upper class, attempting well, to was, show the people who had money were mean and despicable. He was a villain. I know. He was actually a villain. He, he was a jerk. And we don't have to <laughs> extrapolate from that to some sort of indictment of his class. No, but apparently you do. You do wow. if you are part of the well, Hoover whatever. communist Well, whatever. Jan Hoover thought everybody was a commie. <laughs> Everyone's All a right. communist, Rob. We went to wrap it up. We got to wrap right. it up. You're listening to AM 970 WDAY 93.1 FM. This is The Rob Report. And that's The Rundown. We have like no time to do anything in this last segment because Natil got a little carried away describing It's a Wonderful Life as a commie plot to infiltrate the heartland. I'm sorry. I think I was a lot more wrapped up in the doxing commentary than I was That's in true. It's a Wonderful I've never actually seen It's a Wonderful Life. What? Yeah, I've never seen it. <laughs> so I can I can conclusively say to all of you listeners out you there that probably I, are a communist. No, I am obviously not a communist because you I've never bought into that commie propaganda, Rob. Next, next, you can tell me you've never enjoyed a baseball game. I've watched one Red Hawks Hawks game in its entirety, that's, and that's I was a it? kid. Yep, that's all I've ever watched. You are a commie. Nope. No commies Boy. here. No commies here. No secret commies here. Secret commies are over there in uh, in Minot. No, well, because I watched It's a Wonderful Love. Yep, yep. I'm sorry if if I'm on if I'm the on the other side of the divide of this particular conspiracy theory from J. Edgar Hoover. I'm feeling pretty comfortable with myself. All right, we got to wrap it up tomorrow on the show. We're talking board games. We're gonna have a lot of holiday fun because it's the last day before Christmas or last broadcast day, I should say before christmas and then i'm off all next week so we'll talk more about that uh thanks for listening you remember you can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m monday through friday on 970 wday am 93.1 fm 24 hours a day seven days a week at sanitybloggy.com thanks for listening and we'll talk again